This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Ryan, that's Matt, that's Zach. Guys, we're digging into 2 Timothy 2, and there is a whole lot to talk about in 2 Timothy 2. But before we we go back in terms of a segue, Matt, uh, we were talking off air about 2 Timothy 1, and you wanted to point something out about uh, patterns and kind of how that goes through this entire letter. Yeah, so he, Paul is, t- is is encouraging him to follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. And I think that is just in in stark contrast to what you see as the theme of people falling away, people leaving. Paul's been abandoned by everybody. And I think he's trying to encourage Timothy, don't abandon your faith, don't abandon me. Like, You've got to keep pushing forward. So don't follow that pattern because I'm sure that was, and everybody else is doing that. Probably the safe bet to just pack it up. I don't, you know, I I could probably live for another 60 years pretty comfortably if I just pack it in and say, all right, I'm done with this. So I think he's, he's saying follow this pattern, not that pattern. So I think that's a good It's a good thought pattern. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean it. It works, but it's like it's a good thought process to carry as you're as you're looking through all these letters. Because I constantly have to remind myself myself that this letter was meant to be read at once, and here I am, you know, reading one chapter. Oh, let me chew yeah. on this and what's God trying to show me and blah blah. It's like He's trying to show you the rest of the freaking letter. Like, would you like would you just read it? And so it's like that. That's the thing that I try to mind myself, especially for some of the longer letters. Um, Go ahead. Oh, I'm saying I think he kind of lays it out in chapter two yeah. here a little bit about how the whole letter goes or his meaning when he kind of compares uh, Timothy to a soldier, an athlete, armor. So the soldier is to uh, entangle, not get entangled in civilian pursuits, but aim to please the one who enlisted him. So we're, our aim is to please God. Uh, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The Bible is a rule book. Scripture is a rule book. The gospel is a rule book. You know, that's, this is what we're, 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 we're put out for, so we need to compete towards that. And then, you know, then the hardworking farmer who gets his share of crops in the end. So in the end, we, you know, we'll talk about the blessings that uh, one would receive if they stay on course. Let's dig into that a little bit, actually, because verse four, talking about a soldier. So the point I would say, if you were to encapsulate it, of verse four is no useless squabbles. So it's not saying don't do civilian stuff. Yep. It's just like no useless squabbles. Then he talks about an athlete. He uses a lot of athletic language in his letters, Paul does. And he's talking about in terms of, hey, we're not going to cut any corners. Like, we're, we're going to get this done. I remember, Matt, when you and I were on the uh, soccer team in college, uh, we would have to do our, our runs. And as a goalie, I'm like, this is stupid. I, I have to run like 10 yards at a time. But we would have guys that would cut corners, literal corners, because we would run you know, uh, you know, corner mile or something like that. So that's a mile each way. So four. And so they would kind of veer off and, you know, run through campus and cut time off. And those are the same guys that would get gassed during a game in the, you know, 85th minute. It's just like, yep, but that's what happens when you cut corners. So he's kind of given an admonition there to not cut corners. And then obviously when you think about a hardworking profession, most people think about a farmer. Um, you think about the patience it takes to be a farmer. And so that's what he's talking about in verse six, no laziness. And there's just really, a lot here that that can be said, and then I'll, I'll tee you guys up from there. But, you know, verse four, uh, you know, a soldier, especially at this time, they had, and this was pointed out in the Reformation Study Bible, readiness to suffer. Uh, they were loyal, and they were single-minded in their commitment. 
right? And that's what you think of a good soldier. But then verses five and six is kind of a promise of a future reward. It's like your hard work and your ability to to do things correctly now leads to a future reward. When guys, you know, win the World Series or the Super Bowl or the World Cup, almost always they talk about the process it took to get there and all the hard work and the extra practices and the film study and all those different things. Um, and it's a promise of future reward that you will not get if you don't put in the work. So I think that that's, there, there's a lot there, but, you know, just in those three verses, it's like, okay, that if you want to build out how to live your life as a good adult, like th- those would be three examples that you could put in your life pretty quick. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think the soldier one is interesting to me because it is, it can be analogous to how we should be living our life as Christians where we are, our general is Christ and we are focused on what he is wanting us to do. And I think all those other distractions just take us down or can take us down a path of destruction. And if we're not, I I think, it's our duty to be more single-minded in what we're trying to strive for. And so I, man, this was written <laughs> thousands of years ago, but still, still so applicable, applicable today. I love that analogy. Well, one thing as well, you know, when we're talking about the farmer, I guess the word used for hardworking farmer, what they meant is to labor to the point of exhaustion. And I guess if for the guys listening to this and certainly for the guys at the table, when it comes to your work life, whatever it is that you do, and we're all kind of more so in white collar uh, types of jobs, but regardless of the job that you're doing, are you laboring as unto the Lord? And are you laboring to the point where you are exhausted? And then the same would apply to, I would assume how you labor inside your family, how you labor inside your church, how you labor inside of your, your local community. And I remember this, um, it was just one of those like kitschy, you know, Father's Day type stories or whatever. But there was this this man who, you know, hardworking man, and he's he's rubbing his hands because he's kind of arthritic and his hands hurt and he's working real hard and blah blah blah. And his little daughter comes up to him and says, "Daddy, dear, do, do your hands hurt? Are are you okay?" And he says, uh, "Baby, do you have enough to eat?" She's like, "Yeah." He's like, do you, "Do you have all the clothes that that you need to to go to school and to to go to church and all that?" Well, yeah. Do you have enough money to do the activities that you want to do and all that kind of stuff? Well, yeah. He goes, then my hands feel fine. And it's like, that's, that's a dad. Like, that's a guy that's like, I'm going to ring myself out. Think, think about that quintessential farmer, right? The old man in his button down shirt and he just got off his tractor and he doesn't get a parade. Like he doesn't get a month of celebration. Like he, he's just going to get after it and get to work. Like, there's a lot there, especially for a dad that's that's looking for opportunities to grow himself. There's a lot. Just I in think that. these three examples too are very stark in contrast to what we view as a modern day pastor. Mm. They're in the muck and the mire. They're they're doing the stuff that, like you said, that you don't get a parade or right. work in a field. And I think, I mean, First Timothy talks his his first letter. He talks about not doing not not doing these godly things for worldly gain. Obviously, that's not exactly how he puts it, but like, that's not, the pastor is someone who does the stuff in the muck and the mire and has mud and blood all over his face and probably doesn't ever get a parade. And, but that, like, it's to God's glory and it's not for worldly gain. So I see that. I mean, I kind of looked at it as a soldier is, you know, this, the soldier is your, your first commander is Christ. You know, you live for Christ. The athlete was. You preach the gospel, you preach the truth, and then 
the farmer was the sower of the seed. You go out there and you don't stop sowing that seed until your time comes. And I think that was just kind of what he was trying to do, saying, this is what you do. You know, first you give your life to Christ. You do what he asked you to do. This is what he's asked you to do. Now we're, we're dealing with a gospel that's being preached because of something, you know, a gospel that's being preached that's not the right gospel. This is the truth. I've given you that, and I've told you that in chapter one. Um, and now it's like, now you don't stop. Just keep going. Don't be afraid. Yeah, this was interesting too. It said, we test them by the word of God and particularly the doctrines of grace as given by Paul. It is not we who examine Paul to see if he is right. It is Paul who examines us. That stood out to me as I read through this. You know, this is pretty definitive in what he's saying. And he's also talking about soldiers not getting distracted because they're there for their commander and all of those sorts of things. Um, uh, so I, what I was going to say is like the harvest is, is, is really interesting to me because if you're talking about the harvest as a pastor or as a father or as a disciple, as someone who's discipling someone, a pastor's harvest is people who come to Christ, right? Well, he can't control who comes to Christ. Just as a farmer, I mean, you can work as hard as you want and get a crappy harvest because that's just how the chips fell. But what doesn't change is how hard he works. Whether he gets a good harvest or a bad harvest, he works the same amount. If he's a good farmer, he's going to work as hard as he can, no matter what. And same with a pastor. You might have one person come to Christ that week. You might have 50. You're still putting in the mm. same hours. You're still putting in the same amount of work yeah. because the harvest isn't yours anyway, but the work is. Well, that's what I tell people all the time is they're like, you know, over the years as your show's grown and as, you know, the impact of what Undaunted Life is doing, blah, 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 whatever complimentary thing they say, what about your preparation has changed? What are you better at? What are you more efficient at? And I'm like, this is not going to be good for your, for your business class. I'm doing the same level of work as I was when I started, when I had tens of listeners versus what we have today, which is significantly more than that. I'm preparing for interviews the exact same way. I'm preparing for solo episodes the exact same way. Are we doing additional things? Yeah. Forging table didn't exist 12 months ago, but I was and people were like, you know, why when you had like a couple of dozen listeners, why were you preparing so hard? It's like, cause I wasn't working for you. Like I was working as unto the Lord because you know, and, you know, and you can't do that. You can't fill your bank account with, you know, with the uh, hopes and dreams and unicorn farts and oh yeah, but a lot of people like me, like at some point it's gotta yeah. be a, a business, but that that's a really big deal, but it's also where you're pointing your brain and where you're pointing yeah. your attention. And that's verse seven. Think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. Think over what I say. One of the commentaries I read is like, if we were to say that, Hey, uh, Zach, uh, remember what we were talking about earlier? Uh, if you could just think that over some more, it's more like a polite suggestion. Now this is more like a strong admonition from Paul to Timothy, think this over. Yeah, pour over it. May I remind you of these things that I've likely told you before? And if you do so, the payoff, the Lord will give you understanding and everything. So to the person that feels like they're toiling in their work, uh, whatever it is that they're doing, if you're where you're supposed to be, and if your working is unto the Lord, it's going to be, it's going to work out to your redounding benefit at some point. And the other thing, Matt, just to put a bow in this first section before we move on, the pastor that feels like they're, you know, there's not as many people are coming to Christ or people aren't really responding to my messages. Why aren't people signing up for missions and, and things like that? It's like <clears throat> control the controllables. That goes all the way back to my interview of legendary local wrestling coach Hardell Moore. Control the controllables. Like you can't control whether or not the kid you're wrestling that day is better than you. You can't control that. You can control your level of preparation though. 
you can control how, how good your gas tank is. Those are things that you can control. And think about people when they get beat in sports or in business or whatever. It's like, man, they were just flat out better. Like there's literally nothing more I could have done before this. And I just got beat. That's a great place to be, but I could, I'm better than this guy. I just got tired. Dad gummit. And you just, you can feel that. Like I was, I was not as ready as I would have hoped and I got exposed. And so, uh, and that's also something we see in second Timothy is not being caught flat footed, but, uh, that's going to come up a little bit later. I do want to get into, uh, this next section verses eight through 13. So Matt, could you actually read verses eight through 13, please? Sure. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he, will also, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So one commentary, and then I want to dig in. But the word of God is not bound. How often do you see an exclamation point? In the New Testament? Not very often. I don't have the answer. Like, I'm a, I don't remember very many of them. And Paul is like, Paul's basically talking like he's in that chair. That's the pounding the table chair. For those of you that have listened for a long time. I haven't pounded the yet. The chair right across me is I the- I will pound later. Right. That's, we didn't have to go that far. But the, the, the thing about it is, that, gosh, of all the stamps, like, listen to me. Like, he, he was probably screaming whenever he either wrote that down or somebody else was writing it down as he was saying it. So that's one thing I wanted to throw out there. <clears throat> but in this section, obviously there are word, there's a word that came up and Matt said it and even like he paused just a half a breath after he said the word. Does anyone want to take a guess what that word is? Why are you smiling, Matt? I- I'll take a oh, guess. Oh, Ryan. Uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I actually wrote down because of that. Kyle may get upset, but <laughs> let Matt take the lead. <laughs> Fill in where needed. <laughs> so uh, what, what, it's, called, it's called elect. Election. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <clears throat> I, I actually, just, that was unintentional. My pause was unintentional. No. But as I will say, as I paused, I was like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. But I know that Kyle's going to think. <laughs> oh, I heard it. I did that on purpose. Not only did I hear the pause, I felt it. I felt <laughs> it on my toes, Matt. Uh, that's how hard I felt it. Okay. So I sent you guys a message the other day. And so I want to kind of give the listeners a peek behind the curtain. Then I want to just kind of play this out a little bit. And it was something, I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was something along the lines of like, hey, I don't want to close myself off to reformed Calvinistic theology, that type. Are you bringing up the actual text message? I can bring up the text message if you want me to. Uh, yeah, I guess yeah, as opposed to me kind of like stumbling along. <laughs> I read it. Do you got it there? Like, I was like, oh, he screenshotted man. it. He saved it. He posted it I on Instagram. I did not post it on Instagram. It's just awkward. We're just going to have dead air happen until you find it. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you guys uh, keep talking? No, just oh, here it is. Here's my no, messages. There it is. Here's my messages. <laughs> all right. All right. Get all right. To go back He's to reading my messages for the whole go. world. Well, I have, I got texts from you and then texts from, there's the fortune tape. Did you find the actual text or did you just yeah, find I'm, where I'm, we text no, each other? Yeah, no, I'm, he's got to go back now because it's up there. Yeah, it's up there, man. You should like have had this preloaded. This, yeah. I, didn't well, I mean, I could just give the people the gist. I wanted or, to throw this out to the group real right, quick. Here it is. I kind of had this realization while lifting this morning. I detest, because detest is in all capitals. You, you don't have to perform my text. You in, can just read in, it. Intellectual, intellectual dishonesty. I'd like... It's like a stench on the people that I can't shake once I smell it. In my 
most honest opinion, or in, in my MO of militancy and stubbornness, I think that I've started to dig my heels in against reformed Calvinist theology. I think I've let some of the debates anger me more than I've let them challenge me, which I've thrown out to you, Bob. Like, dude, why are you so angry? You're like, I'm not angry. Well, I wasn't angry then. <laughs> Uh, I think I've let some of the debates anger me more than I've let them challenge me. I can feel myself picking a side just so that I have a side to fight on for. I don't want to do that. I want to keep an open mind to new ideas and arguments, which is intellectually honest and consistent. Just stream of consciousness this morning, I guess. Okay. So that was a message I sent to you guys and everyone started crying and it was like super emotional and oh, Kyle shared his heart. But the, the thing is, is like, you know, you go to a Super Bowl party, you haven't, you've been busy, you haven't watched the whole season, and it's like, well, I guess I better pick a team so I can have someone to root for, and then you pick a team, and then by the third quarter, you're like yelling when the receiver for that team, who you didn't know their name, you know, 45 minutes ago, and you're freaking out because they dropped a pass that would have potentially changed the game or something. So I want to be honest, and I want to ask these questions, because for those of you that are new to this, we got a couple of bona fide Calvinists across the table from me. So we got Ryan and Matt, and then Zach, I don't exactly know where you land on on all of this. And so uh, perhaps it'll come out. But I, I have some, I have some honest questions because I've questioned a lot of people in this. And frankly, there's things that I just don't understand. And it's like, I feel like an idiot and it's like, I don't want to, I at least want to understand it if I'm going to accept it or repudiate it or, or something like that. So I have some yes or no questions and there's no gotchas. Don't laugh, Matt. Yes or don't no. laugh. I hate that. I know. I know that. And so, but, and so <laughs> the thing is, I need y'all to trust me a little bit. Give me a little bit of, of latitude here. I will. I, I have some yes or no questions. And so if you'll stay to the yes or no format, we will have longer format options. Ooh. I know I'm making it as awkward as possible. Zach's just over here giggling. He's just like, he's ready. He's ready for the awkwardness because I want I, I want to get a better understanding of this. So are we agreeing to the format? After your beautiful text that you sent to us, I will agree to this okay, format. Okay, we have one agreement? Yes, because that's the format. Okay, that is yes. the format. And so just yes or no. Okay, so- would I'll call you, you out though, if you're like- if No, seriously, call me out because as I was writing these down, I was like, okay, intellectual honesty, fairness, desire for the truth, all that. That's what's in these questions. Fair? Okay, first one. Would you say that only the elect go to heaven? Yes. Yes. Okay. Would you say that the elect are chosen by God? Yes. Yes. Okay. Would you say that the elect bring nothing to their salvation? No. No. Okay. Would you say that the elect have to hear the gospel to receive it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Would you say that the elect have to repent? Yes. Yes. Okay. Would you say that the elect have to put their faith in the gospel? Yes. Yes. Okay. So. The surprising thing about your answers is typically when I hear Calvinists or Reformed people discuss salvation or whatever, they say, you don't bring anything to your own salvation because you can't. And then they say something along the lines of, you, you were dead. You, you, dead people can't do things. They can't reach their hand up. They can't whatever. Which is true. This and, is true. Okay. And so the thing that's confusing to me is for people that do say, because y'all would acknowledge there are Calvinists that say, no, you bring nothing to your salvation, correct? I, yeah, not, not every Calvinist <clears throat> believes the same thing. And there yeah. are, I think there are d- different degrees. And I think people who are new to that, I guess, system of theology can be really, really extreme in their view and, they, yeah, and very stubborn. They call it, they call it the cage stage. Cage I mean, stage Calvinist, li- we've all been there. Yeah, it literally has, yeah, it literally has a, a, def- a definition yeah. and a term to, to describe it. But yeah, I think, and then there's, there's hyper Calvinists who literally, yeah, who, like you're saying, who literally think like, I can do nothing at all. 
So right. when it, when it comes down to it, um, I, I think where they get to that mindset is you don't recognize the gospel unless I think I lost it. You don't recognize the gospel until God opens your eyes to it. And so if that never happens, then you've done nothing. So, but once your eyes are open to the gospel and God's opened your eyes, cause you, you will see through here that Paul talks about being open to your eye. If God opens their eyes or if God allows them. So if God allows you to hear the gospel and God allows you to, to understand the gospel, then from there, this is where I disagree that you do come in. You have to one, believe it. And two, you have to repent. You have to change your mind. So, but if you were given the belief, then you are just a bystander, correct? Like that's how a Calvinist would say. It's like, no, no, no. The only reason you believe is because God opened your eyes. And I would agree with that, yes. But then are you saying you still get to choose whether or not you believe? I mean, I mean, that's where you come down. And, and I've thought about this. Like there's a part, in, there's a verse in the Bible about blaspheming in the Holy Spirit. And so I feel. It's Matthew. Yeah, I know it's in Matthew. I, I feel that. I hate using the word I feel. Um, well, let's get in our feelings. Let's, let's get go. into the feelings, guys. Um, no, I just, when I think about that, it's like in God, uh, why I'm a Calvinist or why I, I ascribe to Calvinistic theology, which Calvinistic theology isn't, this isn't like some denomination. I'm a Christian. Yeah. I have a, I look at God's sovereignty through a Calvinistic theology. I believe that God is more sovereign over, over everything and actions than I am. So I, I will go back and forth on free will. Um, but, but I, I, I just think that you have to bring something to the table. You have to repent. You have to, you have to do something. But so it's hard for me. If God is sovereign, can someone just say, oh, I've seen the gospel and I think it's crap. Cal- like, I Calvin- don't know. Calvinists who are true to what the Bible teaches do not think that we are robots. So like, I think I'm sure there are people who think that. And I think Kyle I mean, thinks I'm a robot. <laughs> I mean, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. The, the, but yeah. So to me, the, the Bible is a story of election. Jacob, Jacob, Jacob was a scoundrel. Jacob was a deceit. He was a deceitful person and God still chose to bless Israel through Jacob. Like they're like the Israel, Israelite people were, were, were elected not because of anything they did, but because God chose Abraham. Them. We, we see in revelation, like our names are written on the lamb's book of life that was written before the foundation of the earth. Like, so, so election is all throughout the Bible, but I want to bring, I want to bring who we've talked about Spurgeon so much on, on our podcast here, but I think he really sums it up very beautifully. And, and if you'd let me, I'd, I'd love to read this quote because this is something that I think a lot of people grapple with. Like where, where do I fall in this dichotomy? And Spurgeon says that God predestines and that man is responsible are two things that few can see. They are believed to be inconsistent and contradictory, but they are not. It is just the fault of our weak judgment. Two truths cannot be contradictory to each other. If then I find taught in one place that everything is foreordained, that is true. And if I find in another place that man is responsible for all his actions, that is true. And it is my folly that leads me to imagine that two truths can never contradict each other. These two truths, I do not believe, can ever be uh, welded into one upon any human anvil, but one they shall be in eternity. They are two lines that are so nearly parallel that the mind that shall pursue them farthest will never discover that they converge, but they do converge and they will meet somewhere in eternity close to the throne of God whence all truth doth spring. So 
Did you have a point on that? Because that's my, that's my a point, fantastic my, quote. My point is there there are twin truths in the Bible. Yeah, there are, and that, that, that would that's something that Spurgeon would call a twin truth. Like God is sovereign, but I have I have responsibility. Nehemiah is a twin truth. Nehemiah doesn't exist. God's going to rebuild the wall. <laughs> like the the wall is getting rebuilt, but Nehemiah had the responsibility to go do it. That, that, that to me is, and that's one of the big things I got from, from the book of Nehemiah was there are these two, these two things side by side that if God wanted to, he could say, Nehemiah, stay where you are with Artaxerxes. I'm going to go read the, rebuild the wall because I'm God. I, I, I made man out of clay and I could do what I want, but God loves us so much that he, like, he's going to give us responsibility and it's our job to fulfill that. So I, I I hate to break it, break this up. I, I feel the same way because when I, I'm just saying. <laughs> as like, I break this up, yeah, let me I, hop in here. Let me hop in here. Um, the the bleeding woman and the dying the dying daughter. Notice that Christ is going to the dying daughter, but the bleeding woman comes to Christ, and for healing. You know, he's going to heal the dying daughter. So that's kind of the. So I think the 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 part where people struggle is. It's one thing to have knowledge of an outcome, and it's another thing to cause the outcome. Like, assuming the earth stays in existence, I, I know that the sun will set in the west this evening, but I'm not causing that. And that's the difference where people get into And uh, Zach, I see you nodding your head. You're being awfully quiet here. You're taking everything into that big old brain of yours. But, like, that's, that's the thing that I feel like is that's the problem where people get to where, okay, so you're saying there's no free will because if you fast forward to verse, you know, 23, have not, or not, uh, 23, 25, uh, dot, dot, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And so it's like, so we don't repent. God like basically puts the software of repentance into our both are true. main frame. So here's the thing Wait, on the both are true thing. So hold your thought, make sure, make okay. sure you keep it right. That is the most, and this is not the, the, the supreme ethic here. That is the most intellectually unsatisfying argument that I get from people. Because when I've had this discussion, not with you two, well, maybe with you two, but then with others, is it's like, well, we don't, we don't understand everything. And some things will just be made clear to us later. And I'm like, that's true. Oh, okay, uh, I could win every argument ever well, I, by well, using that, that can't, at that the can't end. be a cr- that can't but, be a crutch that can't be a crutch to use if you if you feel like okay i'm not i don't have the points to win this argument i shouldn't it would be intellectually dishonest of me to say well we just can't know everything that is true but like that's not that's that shouldn't be used as a crutch just because i think i'm losing but it's not a crutch in the fact that i don't we, think that's a crutch we either. don't know god we our idea of love is totally different than what God's idea of love is. Our idea of righteousness is totally different than God's idea of righteousness. Like his expands abounds that we will never see. But what we can do is we can look into the Bible and we can look at certain things and how they're portrayed out in the Bible and go by those things. But I'm never going to fully, if anybody can fully understand God and who God is, by all means, I would love to hear it. We're never going to be able to do it. Yeah. You know, we're, I mean, we're still trying to get through this. And I don't think you anybody know, would argue that, that, oh, hey, there's somehow that we can get to the knowledge of God through their study or revelation or something yeah. like that, that I don't think anybody's making that argument. It's especially when you get into this very specific part of Calvinist theology, which came 1,500 years after the, the first church, where it's like election, where there's essentially, which I'm not saying 
Calvin admitted election, right? Because you can see it and read it throughout the New Testament, whatever. But it's, it, it comes to the point to where it's like, you have someone, you listen to a guy like MacArthur mm-hmm. and it's like, we bring nothing to our salvation. Like you didn't choose your salvation. You're not the world's greatest chooser. Like God gave that to you. Okay. And so like, but then again, it's like, there is agreement that we must put our faith in it action. And then we must have faith and or, or, or that we must repent. Those are two action things that are required of us, which begs this, this question. And this is another honest question that I've never thought about until I read the second chapter here, which is, and I don't know the answer. Is it possible to be elect and to not go to heaven? What would you guys say? No, no. I don't. If you're, if you're elect, you're going to heaven. So what you're saying is, is that every person that is elect is guaranteed to hear the gospel in their life. Cause you also said earlier that the elect can't respond to the gospel if they never hear it, which is it, obvious. Not, so, it, so where are they hearing it from? Like, I don't even care about that. Yeah. To, to answer your question. Yes. Like every, yeah. every, every person that is elect is guaranteed to hear the gospel and then repent. Because God has God has ordained that to happen, and that's why I could go back to twenty five. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance. So, what it comes down to is like if you're wrong about something, and you know, and like I, you know, I've told you like, hey Kyle, I think you're wrong on this, and you're like, you realize where I'm coming from, and you're like, you know what, you are, I am wrong. I'm sorry about that. I mean, that's what God's doing. God is putting in your mind like, all right. I'm wrong about this. Now I need to change it. And so that's what he's talking about. So you're saying about. he's granting you the knowledge, the knowledge of, I guess the word would be depravity, but we still have to respond to that depravity. We still have to respond with repentance and belief. I think that, that goes back to the harvest, doesn't it? Like a pastor can only control that he is preaching the gospel. The harvest is God's. Yeah. I guess the struggle is, is if you're saying, which I would agree, that you, the elect have to hear the gospel in order to respond to it mm-hmm. is this is where the free will thing comes in. Cause it's one thing to ordain and weave things to where they make sure that they happen, but it would seem unlikely. And again, I don't like using likelihood language in here whenever it comes to, you know, God's sovereignty and all that. So I'm, I'm treading on thin ice here and I acknowledge that. But to say that God has elected a certain group of people, which means that he chose them, right? Not that he knew they would choose, right? Which is what I think where a lot of people would land is God knows what you're going to do. But what Calvinists would say is that, no, no, no. He chose them to do that. Like he, Mm -hmm. he picked them out, out of the entire lineup of humanity and said, you, you're on team God. That if you get to that point to say that the gospel is always going to be preached to the elect takes free will out of it. Because let's say, Matt, let's say you're not saved and you're elect, right? You're on team God from before the beginning. You don't even know any, you don't even know God exists. You've never even thought about that. And let's say I'm the one that God weaved and ordained to be the one to share the gospel with you. And in someone else's free will, they put a bullet in my brain that morning and I don't end up meeting you for coffee. You weren't like, the one that was supposed to preach the, the gospel to me. Preach gospel to but is, you see how somebody this weaves else, into the free will conversation? The, th- but the point is, is hearing the gospel. Your eyes are being opened as you hear it. So but what if you don't hear it? That's the thing. Then you're not elect. So if this is not Zach hopping in the chat, let's go. Let's if this, go. If this is not a salvation issue, as we all say, what's behind the consuming nature of the discussion? And that's not a question to be answered here. It's pretty rhetorical because I've sat through a bunch of these, listened to a bunch of them online, in this group, various places that I've never heard it resolved. 
It will never be resolved. Yeah, well, I, I heard. Think, I, I agree think Spurgeon, with you. Spurgeon I heard, says that. I heard right? C.S. Lewis the other day brought up, and then I heard a very well-known pastor. You talked talk. to C.S. Lewis? Brought up. What? I heard him brought up. <laughs> and, and his opinion was <laughs> that it's not going to be resolved in time and all this, but let me just read a couple of things and get your thoughts on this. And I think you're not going to like it, but it is. Great, three on one. Yeah. Love it. Uh, so I think you'll be fine. This, this is a great deal I heard. It said, so Soren Kierkegaard, if you're familiar with him, says that pronunciation. the divine is infinitely qualitatively different than you. This reminds me of Philippians 2, 5 through 6, referencing how Jesus um, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. Right? So I listened to this discussion between some about philosophers and Dawkins and all that, and this person said something I thought was pretty, pretty good, which is people attempting to understand or conceptualize God must work within the framework of their own rational limitation. God can only be what our reason allows him to be. Another way of saying it is that our reason constructs God. So in this case, we have not actually encountered the truly other, the holy, the divine <laughs> other, but we have only constructed a projection of ourselves. This would suggest that our attempts to conceptualize God will never lead to anything approximating the reality of his essence, similar to how Jesus referenced heavenly things to Nicodemus. It was not something he could understand. So it does not seem that God intended to provide clarity in the case of this dichotomy, which may be a gift. We've been provided with just enough processing power to appreciate the depth of the mystery. Perhaps to your last point, um, it's meant to demonstrate how infinitely qualitatively different he is compared to us, inconceivably so. So sort of like the question of what our ever-expanding universe, space, time, and energy is expanding into or emerged from, it is simply beyond our ability to grasp and awesome in the truest sense of the word. So I think for me, because it's so alien to our ability to understand it, yet it's two twin truths that are kind of like an asymptote, right? They never converge. Mm -hmm. it, it may, in some sense, be something that's just meant for us to be in awe of. Yeah. And if it's truly not a salvation issue, I know for some people it can get really close to that, people that I know personally. 100%. Then where do we frame this exactly? And I, I think for me personally, you kind of brought up in the beginning, where am I at? I think this is kind of where I'm at. I've not seen it. It's kind of like, Turek and everybody else that you talk about, they all sort of settle in this place where it's like, guys, you're not going to know it, but you're going to get to Christ one way or another. Well, I think the understanding is that you can't be so dogmatic about it that it becomes a salvation issue because yeah. then it becomes an idol in itself. And there are people who fall in the Calvinistic camp that are so dogmatic about election and not bringing anything to the table that they venture into a false religion that is not Christianity because what is clear is repent and believe, right? Even, even in the old Testament, that's there. Yep. You look at Jacob, Jacob deceives his brother twice. He lies about his name to his dad he says, I am Esau. And then he wrestles with God. And some scholars would say that that's the angel of the Lord. That is pre-incarnate Jesus Christ wrestling with him. And then the angel or God says, what is your name? Like he doesn't know. Of course he knows. He knows it's Jacob. And there's this moment of repentance and redemption for Jacob who will be blessed. And Jesus will come out of that line and nations will be blessed because of Jacob. And he says, I am Jacob. And it's this moment of I'm repenting. I'm being honest. And now I'm, I'm being vulnerable and I'm, I'm at the table bringing nothing but honesty. 
And he said, like, I will not let go until you bless me. And he says, what's your name? It's Jacob. You are no longer Jacob. You are Israel because you wrestled with God. So even in the Old Testament, it is repent and believe. And that is, that is why I can call someone who would say Calvinism is stupid. I can still call you a brother in Christ because yeah. we agree on that, on that foundational thing, which is salvation. So... <clears throat> I want to make sure we're being precise in our language. So Zach and Matt, when you talk about being a salvation issue, you're saying there are people that think if you are not Calvinistic in your personal theology, that you will be going to hell. Is that a fair way of saying that? I don't know that I could say that definitively. I'm sure there are people who think sure that if you are. don't believe in Calvinism, you're not okay. actually a Christian. I'm sure so there's I people guess who when, believe if you don't believe in free will, you're not going to heaven. Yeah, I so. guess when I when I hear Zach, when I heard you say, you know, it's basically not a salvation issue, Matt, not a salvation issue. In my head, I'm like, wait a minute, that's exactly what we're talking about. We're Just discussing. Wait, a f- wait. Okay. This is exactly what we're talking about because the way I'm looking at it. So one of the the early critiques of the forging table was someone was like, I, I don't know how to apply this directly to my life. Like, like how, how do I apply this? So let's take it to ground level. I have two sons. I don't know if they're elect or not, and it won't be revealed to me because something. You may die like, and never be revealed to you. Sure. And so we get to this point where why, and don't just say it's because the Bible tells you you're supposed to, but it's like, why would I share the gospel with my boys? Because if both are elect, one or the other is elect, or neither of them are elect, my actions in this don't matter because God is sovereign and will ordain it for his glory. And if I didn't share it, someone would have shared it anyway. That's where people get wrapped around the axle with this Calvinistic theology. Cause I've yet wait because I've yet to have a, a died in the wool Calvinist explain to me why we should do mission work because it's like these people are going to hear the gospel anyway. Why am I putting together a, a fundraiser to send people to the, you know, mountains of Guatemala. I don't even know if mountains are in Guatemala to find this lost people group to supposedly give them this, that, or the other. And I, and I know the answers and it's like, Oh, but we're the hands and feet or we're commanded to do it anyway. And we may not understand, but we just have to walk by faith. You see what I'm saying? It's no, like, I, it's, I, it's I, freezing. I, I see me. what you're saying, but I think this goes into another dichotomy of we are called Laughing. to preach. We are called to preach the gospel. We are called to be faithful. So Jesus me, per, me personally, me personally, if, I, if, if I'm looking at my two kids and I don't know who, I don't know which one is going to heaven or if they're both going. Like God doesn't have grandchildren. So like I, either of those options could be true. I preach the gospel because that's mandated to me by Christ. Yep. But that's, that's for me. Like I am not fulfilling my call as a Christian if I'm not preaching the gospel. Like, even to my kids. So it is, it is one, an issue of, of my calling and my obedience. So we are all called to be obedient to the gospel call, like preach the gospel because it's literally Christ tells us his disciples, like go, go take, go make disciples of the earth, like take it to the ends of the earth. And so I think if we say doesn't matter, then we are, then we are in error and we are in sin, and we are not fulfilling the commandment that Christ gives us. Go baptize in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Go make, go make disciples of the nations. So I think that's, for me, that's the simplest, simplistic way to look at it is that's my call. That's our call to go preach the gospel. And when it comes to my belief in soteriology or salvation, it's not, it's not Soteriology, like, sorry, Joby. Soteriology, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Joby. Someone's got to do it. Oh, man. <laughs> Might as well be me. Might as well um, be you. But um, no, it's just, 
I, I, I don't think it's an excuse for laziness. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's like we talk about catechizing our kids. Like, okay, yeah, I may believe that one of my kids are elect or I don't know if they're elect or not or whatever. I don't still go out there and be like expect the church to catechize them. You know, I don't expect them to be catechized in Sunday school. You know, I still have a job to do as a father and as a parent. And so I still have a job to do as a Christian. And my job is to go out there and make disciples of the nation, uh, of each nation. And so when I go and I, and I talk about the gospel, I talk about the gospel. And some people are going to listen and be like, hey, I'm, I'm really interested in what you're talking about and come and listen. And some people are not going to be interested and they're going to walk away and I'll never see them again. You know, but it, it's like sales. You know, I'm going to have somebody that's going to really want to listen to what I have to say. Doesn't mean I did the product. I made the product. You know, I'm just a messenger of the product and it's up to them to whether to believe in the product. I think, so, I think you find a good example of this in Esther where she's, you know, called to go to the king and plead on behalf of her people. And I can't remember the guy's name. It's her uncle, I think, right? She yeah. says, why, like, it's basically why me, I don't want to do this. And he's, his response is, if you don't, God will use someone else, but you will be in disobedience to God. God's will will be done no matter what we do, but it is, it is our job and our duty to be obedient to that call. And if she had said, no, I'm not going to do it. Someone else would have popped up. God would have raised somebody else to do it, but she would have been in sin and she's probably in hell. And I, like, that's a very like macabre way to look at it. But his point was, you're duty bound. You're called to do this. Obey and do it. Because so, God's will will be done either way. Fair. So would you say, and by the way, for people that are listening to this, like th- these are conversations that we've had before. And because I can already feel the emails that are going to be hitting my inbox. Oh, well, you don't believe in this, Beverly, you idiot. And it's like, okay, like part of it is there are a lot of people that have these questions because y'all don't get to see the comments and emails and DMs, but I do. And people from all sides of this argument. And the, the thing is, is there's a level of confusion here. Zach, you pointed out earlier, you, you listen to hours because I've, I've listened to hours of debates on the subject too. No one ever wins. Like no, no one ever comes away. And like, as an audience member, you feel so dissatisfied because you're so excited to, okay, be convinced. And then you don't can get convinced. But would you guys say that repentance and salvation is forced upon people by God? Like they, they, they have to take it. Like it's a gift that they don't get an option I, to accept. Cause I, you see what I'm saying? Like that's another I thing. That's you, confusing. But like, I think that's the thing that we, we get stuck on is that, I, what I love about Tulip, if we were going to talk about Tulip, is the very first thing, total depravity. If we don't understand how depraved we are, we're never going to see the beauty of the gospel. You, can you understand how depraved you are and still not respond to the gospel? Yeah, if you're not elect. You see how unsatisfying that is? I know it's Because it's like, oh, because you're not elect. Say, like, that's not an I'm, answer. I'm going to say everything unsatisfying because I don't know. All I know is that... Which is also not can, a satisfactory answer. You know, well, oh, I'm not going to have the answer to all your questions. This is what I believe. I'm not here to change your mind. I think that's... Like, here's think, the thing. But if I'm, I'm not, wrong... Well, let me finish. If I'm wrong... I'm not... If you're... It doesn't matter how you, how you came to Christ to me, honestly. If no, you if I'm wrong about the thinking, if my theology is wrong, it needs to be pointed out and corrected, no? Well, no. But my thing is, like, I have a different view. You have a different... I have a different view of free will than you do. So, um, but my thing is, if you think your free will is what brought you to Christ and I can see through your fruit that you're a Christian, I don't care. I don't care where you think you came to Christ. I could, I could honestly believe, you know what? 
God opened his eyes, but you may not see it that way, but it's not something I'm going to go. It's not a hill I'm going to go die on. You know, I'm not going to say, well, that brother believes in that. So I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go and do anything with him. No, I'm, I'm going to discuss how, what I believe. And you can either take it and be like, Hey, I want to hear more about that. Or you can say, no, I totally disagree with you. And we never talk about it again. Why are you so mad? I'm not mad. <laughs> but like, you see what I'm saying? Like, so you, you know would why say, I'm mad? Because usually when we have this conversation, I have a good cigar <laughs> and true. a nice whiskey next to me. And we're sitting so. up here drinking water like losers. Yeah. But so like, so Ryan you would say. depraved and deprived. Right? <clears throat> yes. Right. We, we can fix one of those at, at some point in this conversation. So you would say then that salvation is not a gift that's accepted, but it's God just gives it to us and it's ours at that yeah, moment. It's, it's given to us. It's like, we even talk about his grace and why we, you know, receive salvation. Okay. It's Matt, a gift. Would you say the same thing? Like it's a gift that we can't not accept. We have to accept it. If you're elect, yeah, you're going to accept it. Yeah. That's it, not what I asked. But y- so yes. Yeah. That's a gift. That if God God's opens God. your eyes to the gospel, you will accept it. It's so like you're, so it's if, like, if God opens your eyes to the gospel, you're saying it is impossible for us to resist it. Dead man can't save themselves. Yep. And we're all dead to our sin. So what you're saying is, is that we're, we're pre-programmed, if you will. But we, we, are, we are going to accept it. There's nothing we can do about we, it, which we, means we, we, still have, have, we still have to repent and have faith. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. But like, do, am I the one doing that? You're going to do it. Or, you're going or, to repent. Just because God yeah. opened your eyes to the gospel and you see your depravity, you're still going to repent because you're going to be like, who, like, look who I am. And this is why I need a savior. So, so I can choose to repent or not is what you're saying. Is that, I want to be fair. So sure. Romans, Romans one talks about or Paul in his letter to the Romans in, in what we know as chapter one talks about God gives people up to their own lustful desires. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think, but again, this goes back to what Zach is saying where God has revealed what he has wanted to reveal. And what is inescapable is that Christ said, no one comes to the father except through me. Repent and and believe. believe. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. That is verb. Yeah. But that is, that's, that's it. Like that's the, that's the thing that we can hang our hat on. And when you see Paul give pushback to people, it's because people are adding to that. That's, so what we're talking about here is not adding to it. It's, it's a way of understanding it. Repentance is change of mind. So you do have to change your mind on who you are and how you've been living. You have to change your mind towards a Christ molded. And change of action. Well, like you that, don't have that's to necessarily, here's the thing. Flipping we're, 180. We're, well, here's the thing. Change of action is going to take time. So this is like, I think this is where you get hung up on is with uh, John MacArthur's uh, Lordship Salvation and where he believes that once you're saved, you automatically change. No, we have a sin nature. You know, I'm in and, and the reason, don't lose your train of thought. The reason okay. is, is because the seven-year-old that becomes a Christian, they're not like definitively different than they were yesterday because they're seven. They're yeah. just a stupid version of a human. But, but they're still learning right. and they still have a sin nature. We all have a sin nature. We repent every day. We change our mind every day. So I, I love MacArthur. I might disagree with him on that. So you know? would you guys say as well, and again, I, I feel like that lady from that Jordan Peterson area back in the day. So what you're saying is, and that's what I'm trying not to be that person. So, so the other day, uh, and this would be a couple of months ago now, but uh, Phil Robertson, uh, amazing guy, uh, he posted a picture of him baptizing one of his grandchildren, his granddaughter. And the verbiage of the post was something along the lines of, this is me baptizing my granddaughter after she chose to put her faith 
uh, in Christ or uh, chose to you know do all those types of things. And I was like, eh, Calvinists aren't going to like that very much because the word choice is like, it's basically a cuss word to, to Calvinist to where it's like, no, no, she didn't choose anything. She's not a great chooser. That's the MacArthur style. You know what I mean? Multiple times where people say that, you so know what you would I do? Say you're not you know what I that? do? I rejoice because that person's been baptized and they're showing that they're a believer, whether they think they chose it or not. If they're being baptized or showing a fruit, they're showing obedience. I'm going to rejoice in that. I'm mm-hmm. not going to sit there and be the nitpicky Theo bro. That's going to be like, oh, they didn't choose. I want to rejoice. And that I think that's the difference. I think that's the difference. And I think that's where Calvinists are getting kind of a bad rap. And um, rightfully so in a lot yeah. of cases. And I agree. A lot of them, yeah. a lot, and yeah, there are a lot it. that are very arrogant, that are yeah. very dogmatic, that are very like, I know it, I'm right, you're wrong. You can't, there's nothing you can say to dissuade me from that. Where like what Ryan's saying is we should rejoice. They're, they're the brother of the prodigal son. They're the brother that's saying, I'm doing everything right. Why, is, why did that guy get to come in? When we should be saying, it doesn't matter if I'm the prodigal son or if I'm the son that stayed at home. What really matters is that God gave a house for me to be in it all. Yep. And that is where we should hang our hat. So these, these notes I wrote like four or five days ago, just for me to process through it, was never intended to be shared, but I brought it up because you brought up this question. And interestingly... In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, because I would lean towards this Armenian perspective naturally, but it's difficult to argue against when it says, we read that for, um, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his work, workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Clearly, this has Calvinistic elements, but I would suggest that the work from our vantage point does not do itself. I would mm. guess that Ryan and Matt feel compelled by the spirit to actively engage in good works like TFT. So at some level, these works are meaningful to them. Otherwise, they would not do them. So why do these two Calvinists feel compelled to read and spread the word of God to strangers on a podcast? To Kyle's previous points, we share. why do we share it all? I would argue that every person saved by God and indwelt by the Holy Spirit will be generating fruit, not satisfied to coast on their own elected status. Those that don't are likely false converts. Mm. For now, this is my position. I ask God to save me. I remember it clearly. I am confident that I've been saved. I know that I am not the same as I was and will never be. I thank God for that, yet I don't deserve it and I don't understand it. My conversion has created a thirst to pray read his word and to act on behalf of his kingdom that I did that didn't previously exist. And that's the outcome regardless of the pathway, a miracle in my view. So saved by grace through faith for good works. So I have a question. I want to pause right here and take a vote. Okay. Shut up, Matt. All right. Here's the vote. Got freaking mustache giggling over there. Okay. So there is a bunch of great stuff and especially verses 14 through 19 of second Timothy two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so here, here's the vote. The vote is we are either going to continue this conversation to its logical end, wherever that is, where we all are generally satisfied, but all somewhat dissatisfied on the Calvinism thing. And we're going to pick up on the next recording with kind of verse 14 and then kind of transition into chapter three, or we transition to verse 14 of chapter two right now and give it like five or 10 minutes. Of our time and attention. I want to give more time and attention to the other one. Okay. I say, uh, wait. 
Are you voting for keeping this conversation and starting? So you want to keep the election conversation going? Let me start. Let's keep it going. Yeah, that's one. That's yeah, two for me. Two, Zach. Doesn't matter. You're the odd man out. Regardless, no, mainly yeah. because <clears throat> I think I think five minutes to what the rest yeah. of chapter two is is not even just enough. what we talked about yeah. before we started recording. Like yeah. there, there's there's a lot there. Not to say that there's not a lot in chapter three, guys. And everyone's dissatisfied at the end of a forging table episode because there's things that we yeah. wanted to say, and it's yeah. like, oh, what, why didn't we talk about this? So let, let's talk a little bit about fruit, okay? So again, it always seems like I'm picking on MacArthur so much so that people are like, why do you hate MacArthur? It's like, I literally on the table, and this is not a prop. This is a MacArthur Bible commentary that I go to. What? I'm what, saying, Ryan? I know I'm agreeing with you. I'm okay. like, MacArthur's got a little bit of like tinge to him, you know? Okay. He's just so, like, so here, here's the thing that really confused me. And I don't, I don't remember I which sermon it was exactly or, or, or which thing I read or something like that. But it was whatever scripture you'll know them by their fruit and in, in making sure you see fruit. And I heard it had to have been a sermon within the last year from MacArthur. And he was talking about people's fruit and he was basically like, it's going to be so obvious that it's good fruit coming from this person that, that it's going to be so clear that they're a Christian. And I thought about it, like, what is fruit? So if you see somebody behaving properly, is that fruit of salvation or is that they're checking moral boxes and doing quote unquote, doing the right thing. So that caused some confusion. The thing I brought up earlier, Ryan with, you know, the seven year old girl that is nice and sits in the front row and does her homework and feeds her doggy. And then she gets saved. However that happens. And then she's the same girl afterwards. Like, her process of sanctification has begun and, you know, she's going to be forged over time, but it's like, there's no fruit in this young lady that wasn't there beforehand because what is fruit? What are we looking for in somebody? And so I want to have that discussion of fruit because what I came away from with the, the teachings of MacArthur is no one's fruit is sweet enough. Like we're all so unbelievably depraved and it goes to something I talked about with John Cooper whenever I I kind of coined this, but it's like delayed sanctification. Like, I feel like I was saved in high, like in high school in 10th grade. And then by the time I got to college, I just kind of was on like a dry spell for a really long time. Wasn't really reading the word. Wasn't really going, I was kind of going to church off and on. And so it's like, was I just not saved during that time? Was I saved, but lazy? Was I saved, but disobedient? Am I capable of disobedience now? Because now I'm, you know, in the Lamb's book of life and all that. So I know I'm throwing a lot out so, there. The fruits discussion has been okay, so cumbersome. Okay, so salvation to me is is a trinity of sorts where <laughs> we can look at it and say, okay, I was saved. Boom, done. But if you look at it from God's perspective, I think, and what the Bible says, we were saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And if you look at it that way, we were saved by Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection on the cross. We are being saved through sanctification, and we will be saved at his second coming. So this is a process that is, like God, eternal, before the foundation. He is, he was, and he will be. Like, salvation is a similar thing, where it's not this one solid point in time that I can point to, which it is, but it's not. It's, it's, it's more than that. It's not less than that, but it's more than that too. So I think, I think because we're so linear, we like to say, okay, I was saved at whatever date and then I'm good, but that's not the case. We were, we are, and we will. I think I look back at Galatians five uh, verses 19. Are you sure about, I'm sorry, just to make sure I understood that. So you got salvation in an instant and you're being sanctified through this progression. 
Yes. Right? Those are not the same things, right? Well, so, so no, I, I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not explaining this correctly, but be, because of the work of Jesus Christ, all who call on his name were saved. That was, that was the point where death was defeated. But then we're also being saved in current time by our saint because we are being sanctified. God is God is sanctifying us. But then we will we will receive our ultimate salvation, which is eternal communion with God in Christ's second coming. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing about the the fruit thing for me going down that path and what he was talking about is is when you start thinking about people like Robbie Zacharias. You know, I mean, I've heard a lot of people talk in those mm. terms. Yeah. And so it's difficult yeah. to understand fruit. It's difficult to understand if he was just being sanctified and he was saved at one point. I mean, who knows? We, we, and I guess know. it's like sin nature too. Like, so let's say that was his varsity sin in his, his personal life. Cause like for me, in terms of categorically, Ravi Zacharias and I have the exact same struggle when it comes to sexual sin. Now I'm not creating like personal massage whorehouses all over the globe and then, you know, charging it to the ministry. Yeah. But at the same time, I have to fight the lust of my eyes constantly. And I'm assuming that's going to happen until the day that I die. Yep. But let's say I start acting on it. Right. And like, it's sanctification. is that bad? Is that just bad fruit? Or is it like you evidence that tempted, I was never saved? You got tempted and you, and you fell into the flesh. You didn't listen to the Holy spirit. I mean, we all deal with it. I, 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 my wife, like, let me go through this real quick. So Galatians five, 19 through 23, um, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you as I've warned before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. So. There, I deal with fits of anger. Um, I, I deal with impatience. Like just two weeks ago, we were driving to church. Some guy decided to stop in the middle of the parking lot and let his kids out. Like rather than go up under the awning where everybody goes to let everybody out. No, like he stops. Being. He it's just stops right definitely there. Definitely sinful behavior, by it's the not, way. No, his, sinful, his behavior wasn't sinful. My behavior was. I was very impatient. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? Come on. I need to get a parking spot so I can get in there and get to get to adult Bible fellowship on time. Yeah. You know? And so my wife points out, like you deal with impatience and I, in my flesh, I'm like, no, that guy was wrong. He dealt with, you know, but then I go and I ponder it and I think about it and I reach out to God. And this is the difference. This is sanctification. You know, whether you have those thoughts and feelings, if you're having fleshly eyes at another woman is coming back and knowing I am out of the fruit and I need to work on that fruit. And, and that's fruit right there. That I, I would say is fruit. I, I noticed that I have this issue. I'm repentant of that issue and I'm going to work on that. Am I going to get impatient? Yeah, I got impatient trying to get a drink today because I wanted to get here on time. You know, I'm like, hey, what am I doing here? 15 minutes. Like, you know, like this is ridiculous. And I catch myself, but the girl comes and she's like, here you go. And I'm like, thank you, ma'am. You know, I move on. I don't go off and, but no, there's me getting impatient again. And that, Yes, it happens, but the fact that I know it happens and I'm trying to work on it, that's the fruit. I think that sometimes we can get stuck on other people's fruit. And what, what Paul's saying in Galatians is that we should keep our eye out for everybody else's fruit. Could it be 
that to me, my fruit, the evidence that I should see in my own life is what Paul talks about as the fruit, fruits of the Spirit. And, but we get hung up on, not that we shouldn't call out sin, but like we get hung up on other people's fruit. They're not displaying fruit or that's not fruit or my wife does something that's not fruit or my kids do something that's not the fruit of the spirit. Like I think we can get so hung up on other people's stuff and we should, we should hate the sin in our own life more than we hate other people's sin. And so it's a, it's an interesting. Yeah. The reason why at the end of that, those notes, I described my situation as a personal miracle is because I'm by no means flawless, not even close, but the sin that I have been able to overcome in my life, you know, kind of post versus pre is definitely a miracle in that sense. Yeah. And that's real fruit and you know it to be genuine. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's kind of like what they'll say about, you know, porn or whatever. Like I know it when I see it, right? I want to say to Ryan and Matt and Kyle that I know you guys to a certain extent, I believe that you've been saved. I've seen fruit and all that. I'll never know the truest depth of if you have a Ravi hanging out in there or not, but I, I genuinely think that everybody at this table is. We all got a Ravi. Yeah. It's just whether you act upon it or not. Right? I think that's the, the consternation for me, Zach, is you hear these going back to, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, but going back to um, these people have these crazy testimonies and it's like, needle in their arm, you know, belt around their, you know, arm. They're dead. They hover over their body. God's like, don't do that anymore. Sends them back into their body. And from that day forward, they don't even want heroin ever again. Right. And you hear that. And then I want to be happy for them. But at the same time, it's like, look, I have to actively not look at porn and masturbate every day because that's what I used to do. And that hasn't been part of my life for a long, long, long time. It's like, it's, it's almost like it's a complete stranger, but if I were to run into him, it's like my best friend for my entire life. That's what sexual sin and sexual temptation is for me. And so what that does is I'm like, oh man. And I wrestle with my personal salvation all the time. Cause I want to make sure I'm getting it right. You know, cause I'm type a and all that crap, but it's like, I'm like, oh no, like, why am I still struggling with these thoughts? Why am I still struggling? And it's like, you know, I was like hoping at some point it's like, okay, I've gotten to a level of maturity because, you know, Matt, you've known me the longest. We've known each other for, you know, 20 years at this point. Like I used to let sports ruin my night constantly, whether I was in a part of that sport or whether it was a team that I just really, really liked. And so I noticed this the other day and I mean, we're just, we're well off into the overtime section on this one. It just is what it is. But I noticed this the other day and it kind of made me sad a little bit, if I'm being honest, but I am a I feel like I'm a much dimmer version of who I used to be, good and bad. So what I mean by that is, big St. Louis Cardinals fan, I would watch a St. Louis Cardinals game. If they walk it off, come back, win in the bottom of the ninth inning in the playoffs, I'm losing my mind, high-fiving, woo-hoo, running down the street naked. Same thing. You get walked off on, you lose a game, playoff game, important game, elimination game. Oh, I'm cussing and I'm fighting and I'm ready to, you know, and I'm, it affects me the next day. Can't even talk to anyone at work. So I feel like the, the expansiveness and the range of my happiness and sadness has shrunken to where I don't even watch sports if I care about the outcome because I can't control it. I can't control that, that angry ginger anger, like that pridefulness that I want my team that wears red to win this game. And so it was, it was almost sad to me though, because it's like, I feel dimmer. I, I feel less extroverted. I feel like yeah, and in, in some ways more mature, but it's like less passionate, like less myself. 
to where it's like, I'm glad I don't recognize the knucklehead part of who I was 10 years ago, but man, there, there's a lot of fun and a lot of happiness I'm leaving on the table as well. And some people are like, that's not healthy. Just get rid of the crazy guy and keep the passionate guy. I'm like, I can't, like, I, I can't, I can't piecemeal it. You know what I mean? Like it's all part of the same package. There's a sense of maturity there because I feel the same way. I've had the same thoughts. Um, You're a before, Cardinals fan? Uh, before I was... For those of you not watching, I about launched across this table and choked the dude out yeah. wearing a soccer jersey. Yeah, soccer. Um, no, I've had the same. I've you had the same thoughts. Like before, I was married and had kids. I was a pretty fun guy. Like I was probably a real big d bag, but I was pretty funny. Well, you referred to yourself in the third person. A lot, I did. So yeah. I would say yes. So, you were a d bag. Um, I was a d bag. I will say that. Um, <laughs> but I was witty. I was funny. Like I could like. I could like somebody said something I could drop a joke real quick yeah. and like I don't do that anymore. Um I just don't. I'm just, why? Because I have kids and half the times I drop that joke that made everybody laugh, I get in trouble. You know? Um you know, it's usually like same. Back in ABF. Yeah. Uh 2 weeks ago, you know, I I dropped a joke on something that you said. Like there was some truth in it, but it was funny and I couldn't go into the truth cuz everybody started laughing. But um but that's the thing. Like I used to be that witty but now I kind of catch myself that I don't. I just kind of let those times go. But it's also a sign of maturity. We so. heard the description today of elders. Yeah. Think about what that looks like. And I think everybody is kind of on that trajectory in a sense. Because I, I kind of equate an elder in, in a way like to a shade tree. Like mm-hmm. it's very stable, provides confidence and air and, and you know, a sense of safety to those around. You can't necessarily do that if you're on an emotional high and low all the time. So I see what you're talking about as progression in some sense. I understand the passion. You're also a dad now with kids and a family and everything else. And that has its own ability to kind of temper things. So I I don't think I'd waste too much time thinking about, you know, what that was before to stay focused on where you're headed. And it's like, how can you burn off? Like if you could direct your own maturity, which I don't know how much we can, but how, how much do you burn off, but leave? the strongest parts of the tree. Cause you, you know, yeah. you talk about separate the wheat from the chaff and burn off the useless parts or something like that. If you think about it organizationally. So let's say you come in and you're responsible for, and all of us have varying levels of corporate experience. There's a hundred people in this company, but we're hemorrhaging money right now. And we've somehow got to cut people, cut assets while keeping the, the realness of who we are and the core of who we are as a company and to keep an attitude of, of positivity and stick and we can do this and moxie and would you a chutzpah? You said chutzpah earlier, Ryan, great use of chutzpah. Like, how do you do that? How do you burn off the pieces that aren't allowing you to do that? You see Elon Musk take over Twitter. He fires like 80% of the employees. Twitter's apparently running better than it ever has. And it's like, you know, how can you do that, but keep an identity moving forward? And so I, I don't have a point. Uh, there guys and for guys listening to this, I don't have a point where it's like, oh, and I've discovered that this is the right answer to how to do that. I just was doing some introspection and I had some you. long drives without, without anything playing. And it's just like, almost like, who am I? Like, who, who is this guy? It's like, I don't recognize him. and I don't think I like it entirely. And even though I'd like some of it, I've come to that conclusion and I've been on those drives and it's just like, yeah, was I fun back then? Probably. But is that the man who I want to be remembered for? And at no. what cost were you fun? Yeah. No, I don't. I'm, I, actually, if I go back and look at that time, I'd be embarrassed of myself. You know? it, it sounds cliche, but I mean, if you're at that point where those are the, the thoughts that you're having, I think that tells me you're at a very good point. 
yeah. you want to be in that position where you're detached and you're thinking through where you're headed. I mean, I think, to, you know, your points around having to make adjustments, you know, from a company standpoint, it's not easy. Um, but it's not salvation. It is definitely a, a bread, you know, winning type of thing for people and their families. But the whole company has families. So I think you have to treat it with some sort of humility. Um, but you also have to, you know, take care of business. But it's that's I think that's different from trying to sit with somebody and talk about salvation and all those types of things. And with fruit, before we go, with fruit, I don't want to look at the fruit of just everybody. Like I don't want to go in there and judge everybody for their fruit. When I really want to judge fruit, I judge the fruit of the church. Mm-hmm. And I'm judging the church as a whole, not one person in the church, because the church is made up of So if I see a church that, you know, it's evident that they don't abhor sexual immorality. I'm probably not going to go and join that church. I'm going to look at the fruit of that church and move on and probably not see much fruit from there, you know? And so I think that's one thing that we have to look at when we want to talk about fruit. It's like, it's not, should be nitpicking your neighbor. Fruit should be like, where do I want to go? And where do I want to be discipled? And where do I want to grow? And how, how can I be a part of a community that I know is going to be fruitful? To Kyle's point of the two extremes, Christ talks about us being pruned and the vine being pruned. If you look at a rose bush to get more roses, you've got to cut perfectly good roses off of that rose bush. So you're looking at, I'm passionate and I get excited when they win. It's a perfectly good looking rose. But for whatever reason, that needs to be cut so there can be better roses. So sometimes the pruning might to us look like, man, that's that's kind of a quality that was okay. It's a pretty good quality. But the Holy Spirit's like, you know, no, you know what? I want to prune that because there's something better. And you can't, you can't grow a rose bush without cutting and pruning perfectly good and sometimes beautiful looking roses so that rose bush can grow and look better. Well, I think that's a good, uh, good way to kind of summarize that because I look at that. Yeah. Thanks. We've set a record on length of episode and Matt, uh, but I'm going to just steal your thunder and do my own outro. How about that? But it's just like, you know, you do look at that. I was just looking here recently, like the amount of time I used to spend watching baseball and the amount of time I enjoyed that and the, the negative things that came from it. Like now I have a life where I don't really have time to do that. And so I feel like I'm, you know, the FOMO of like missing out. Oh, that would have been a nice game. <laughs> but again, and I'm not talking about like in my old age, I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about how I missed that Cardinals game, but it's like a week from now, I'm not going to worry about the fact that I missed that game where there was an interesting pitching matchup that I wanted to watch. Cause I'm a nerd like about baseball. And so it's just like, Yes, there are some better things because it's like, okay, I can spend the next two and a half, three hours watching this game, or I can prep for a forging table, or I can read to prep for another interview coming up, or I can spend some time in thought and creativity of what does the next iteration of Undaunted Life look like so that we can continue to equip men around the globe to be able to push back darkness. But guys, that is a great discussion of Second Timothy 2, and man, like I, I'm looking ahead to 3 and 4. I'm not sure how we're going to keep those uh, tight. So we may be going into OT. Everyone may need to call their wives uh, uh, from from here on out, see if we can get a little bit of extra time. But we're going to leave the discussion there for now, but come back next week where we're going to dig into 2 Timothy 3. So guys, make sure you read that so that you are prepared. And as always, we're going to do a quick resilience boost before we let you go. Our mission at Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got a link to our donation page. The only reason we have a forging table is because donors like you hop in on a monthly basis and support us as we try to equipment around the globe to push back darkness. Please hop on board and be a part of that with us.
Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. Also, we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Perpetua, which is off their self titled debut album on face down records the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah